we're going to dive into our Bible study here. I just want to review what we went over last week uh, before we dive into our Bible study for tonight. Uh, So last week, the message was entitled, Using God versus Knowing God. And there's a big difference. The difference between using God, I only seek after God when I want something from Him. That's what the Israelites did in 1 Samuel chapter 4. They only sought the presence of God when they were in a bind. When they were in trouble. But yet their behavior, they were living and doing whatever they pleased. They were worshiping other gods, other false gods, pagan gods, the gods of the other nations around them. So they were living and behaving however they wanted to jolly well behave. But yet then they called on God, God help us out, we're in this bind, we're in a fix, we're we're against the Philistines in this battle. And they lost. Because all they did was use God as some kind of a good luck charm when they needed something from Him. Oftentimes we treat God just the same. Where we don't meet with God and we don't pursue a relationship with God and we aren't in love with God. We just want God to meet all of our needs and wants. And that's only when we pursue Him. We only go to the Lord in prayer when we're desperate. And there's nothing wrong with doing that. You know, David was desperate all throughout the Psalms and he cried out to the Lord, go to the Lord in your desperation. But is that the only time you seek the Lord? Because then in chapter 7, they were in the same bind. The Philistines were coming after them once again. But instead of using God, what did they do? They humbled themselves. They confessed their sin. They repented of sin. They turned from their wicked ways and they called after the Lord and the Lord defended them and fought for them. That's what a relationship with God is all about. You see, being saved and being a Christian is not just adding God to your life. It is a complete surrender to Him. A complete surrender of your mind. A complete surrender of your will. A complete surrender of your whole being to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. You see, but many people who profess to be Christians add Jesus to their life and say, I'm a Christian, but yet behave like the rest of the world. And this ought not to be. Because that's not a true relationship with Jesus Christ. A relationship with Jesus is a relationship that comes to Him in repentance. Confession of sin. Humbling your heart before Him, saying, God, I want to be right with you. I want to be in right relationship with you. Here's my sin. I repent. And it doesn't mean we'll be perfect people from here on out, but it means that now we belong to Jesus and we've surrendered our lives to Him. No longer do I chase after my own will and my own lusts and my own desires, but I chase after the Lord and His will for my life. And it is a beautiful thing when you're in right relationship with the Lord. And that right relationship comes through God's grace by our faith in Jesus Christ. And so if you, wanna, if you missed out on that message, go back on our YouTube channel, check that out. Tonight, we're in 2 Samuel chapter 15. So open your Bibles to 2 Samuel chapter 15, and let's find out what the Lord has for us tonight. Now, while you're turning there to 2 Samuel chapter 15, let me intro our study and give us a running start. So one of the most famous Bible characters in all of Scripture, his name was David. Many of you are very familiar with David, king over Israel. The shepherd boy, anointed as king, defeated the mighty giant Goliath, 
killed a lion with his bare hands. He was listed in the genealogical record of Jesus Christ, the Messiah. Huge deal. King David. Awesome guy. One of my favorite characters in the Bible. The Bible says that David was a man after God's own heart. This was David. But David also lived a pretty messy life as well. David's life was riddled with different chaotic situations. Um, it was a very messy life. If you really dig out into First and Second Samuel and just you, you read all about David's life. David was a broken and beaten man. And much of his brokenness came after his affair with Bathsheba. And he lived with the guilt and shame of his affair. And after his affair, as a result, he actually became very detached from his family. Uh, the Bible says that he didn't confront his sons when they sinned. Uh, it also says that he never consoled his daughter Tamar when she was raped. And here in our story, we're going to see that he didn't even stand ground to defend his palace when there was a coup against the throne started by his own son Absalom. A whole conspiracy. And the Bible says, we're going to read it in just a moment, that when David finds out that his son Absalom, whom the Bible says he loved so much, turned against him and started this rebellion, and there was this whole coup and conspiracy against the throne, the Bible says that David, he basically just walks out of the palace weeping, not even there to defend his own territory or to confront his son, but he just bails, he leaves, he flees, and he just starts weeping as he goes to the Mount of Olives. He vacates Jerusalem, he has his head covered, he's barefoot, and he's a broken and beaten man. And the truth is, in life, when you're broken, and when you're beaten up over something, over whatever the circumstances might be, maybe something was done to you, uh, maybe you did something, I don't know, but whatever the circumstances might be, you're a broken, beaten up person. And when that happens, you will quickly find out who your friends truly are. You'll quickly find out who your friends truly are, as David did. David finds out who his true friends are here. We're going to read about it. In chapter 15, as I mentioned, there's a coup against his throne, a conspiracy, and Absalom, his own son, wants the throne and he wants his dad dead. And David finds out who his true friends are. There's two individuals we're going to find out more about tonight, two individuals, close, personal advisors and friends of David. Let's find out who friend number one is. Read with me in chapter 15, verse 10. Friend number one here in verses 10 through 12. It says, Then Absalom sent spies throughout all the tribes of Israel, saying, As soon as you hear the sound of the trumpet, then you shall say, Absalom reigns in Hebron. So he gets all these people together and he's just, he's wanting to spread this all throughout, of it, all throughout Israel. Absalom reigns in Hebron, verse 11. And with Absalom went 200 men invited from Jerusalem, and they went along innocently and did not know anything. But then Absalom sent for, circle this name, Ahithophel. Then Absalom sent for Ahithophel the Gilanite, that's friend number one. David's counselor from his city, from Gilo, where he offered sacrifices. And the conspiracy grew strong, for the people with Absalom continually increased in number. All right, so Absalom is starting this conspiracy against his dad, David. He basically wants to gather all the people. 
start spreading the news that Absalom's the new king. And there was no social media in the day, so that's what they had to do. You actually had to talk to people. Okay? So this is what Absalom does. Goes throughout all the cities of Israel. Shouts out that he's the new king. And what does he do? He calls for Ahithophel. It says right here, Ahithophel was David's counselor. Close personal confidant of David. But he calls for Ahithophel to join in on this rebellion. Jump to verse 30. Verse 30 of chapter 15. So David went up by the ascent of the Mount of Olives. It's a mountain there in in Jerusalem. And wept as he went up. And he had his head covered and went barefoot. And all the people who were with him covered their heads and went up, weeping as they went up. And then someone told David, saying, Ahithophel is among the conspirators with Absalom. And David said, O Lord, I pray, turn the counsel of Ahithophel into foolishness. Now it happened when David had come to the top of the mountain where he worshipped God, there was, here's friend number two, Hushai. There was Hushai the archite coming to meet him with his robe torn and dust on his head. So Hushai, this man, it says he's a friend of David and he follows and pursues after David. It says he put dust on his head, tore his clothes. Now that would be really weird and uncomfortable and awkward in our day and age if someone did that. But that was, in ancient days, that was a sign of mourning, a sign of compassion for someone. So this is Hushai. This is what he does. He tears his robe, puts dust on his head. Verse 33, David said to him, if you go on with me, then you'll become a burden to me. But if you return to the city and say to Absalom, I will be your servant, O king, as I was your father's servant previously, so I will now also be your servant, then you may defeat the counsel of Ahithophel for me. And do you not have Zadok and Abiathar, the priests, with you there? Therefore, it will be that whatever you hear from the king's house, you shall tell to Zadok and Abiathar, the priests. Indeed, they have there with them their two sons, Ahimaaz, Zadok's son, and Jonathan, Abiathar's son. And by them you shall send me everything you hear. So Hushai, David's friend, went into the city, and Absalom came into Jerusalem. So this is what happens. Hushai sees David, good friend of David, mourns with David, and David, in his mourning and his weeping, he actually says, hey, if you come with me, you'll actually just be more of a burden. So I want you to go back to Absalom, and I basically want you to be a spy. I want you to go back to Absalom. I want you to hopefully confuse whatever advice Ahithophel tries to give Absalom, and I want you basically to be a spy for me, find out what's going on, and then come back and give me some kind of an intel here. So this is what happens, and I've entitled tonight's message, Six Signs of a True Friend. Six Signs of a True Friend. Let's pray. Lord, we want to start first by just giving you our Bible study, and I just thank you for my friends in this room and my brothers and sisters in Christ, and I pray that you would now open our eyes and open our ears to hear from you. We invite your Holy Spirit here to teach us from your word. Um, Thank you for the time of worship, Lord. We're so grateful for it. And now I just pray that you would bless us and that you would speak to us through your word, Lord. We love you. It's in Jesus' name we pray and everybody said, Amen. So I want us to have a little bit of fun here at Young Adults. Can we do that? All right, good. Because there's a very important song that I want to play for you that is very relevant to our Bible study. Go for it. Now sing along if you know this. Don't be afraid. 
Oh, come on now. You can do better. You've got in me. That's what I'm talking about. Miles and your miles. Your nice warm bed. You just remember what Alright, that's what I'm talking about. Yeah, you got Alright, bring it down, bring it down. Beautiful, beautiful. Okay, so, yeah, give yourselves a round of applause, that was nice. So go with me here on this visual illustration. If this scene, what we just read, if this scene were a movie, I would be picturing this song as the backdrop for this scene. Okay, so just picture this. David, he's walking up to the Mount of Olives. He's, he's got his head covered. He's barefoot. He's just weeping. And all of a sudden in the background, he hears, David! Hushai, is that you, dear friend? Hushai. Hushai puts his hand up to David's face. He says, we're going to get through this. David says, I don't know what I did wrong. I don't know why they all of a sudden turned country. <laughs> I don't know what I did wrong, Hushai. My son, Absalom. He's my son. I love him. We're going to be okay. And they embrace. And then this song plays in the background. You've got a friend in me, David. So that's what I was picturing as I was... I just was like, it took like an hour to get back on track. But this is what Hushai is. He, he's a friend to David, a personal confidant to David. He doesn't abandon David. He's loyal to David. He comes to him, and he's weeping with him. He's mourning with him. And David says, go back. I want you to be a spy for me and give me intel on what is going on. So this is what happens. I'm going to summarize chapter 16 for us. But Absalom... He brings Ahithophel and Hushai. When Hushai gets back to Absalom, Absalom actually questions, hey, what are you doing here? I thought you were with my dad. Hushai, a part of this ruse, he comes to Absalom and he just explains, listen, I'm royal to the throne. So if you're the new guy, then I'm loyal to you. And Absalom buys it. And so he brings Ahithophel, who's now a part of this rebellion, David's former close friend, and Hushai. He brings them together and he's basically, okay, I want to now plot how to kill my dad and how to fully take the throne. What do you got? He asks for their advice. He asks for their counsel. It's what Ahithophel and Hushai used to do for David. Now they're doing it for Absalom. So Absalom says, give me your advice. Ahithophel, you start. How should we go about killing my father and overtaking the throne? And Ahithophel gives them this long plan. He says, what I'm going to do is I'm going to take 12,000 men with me. You stay here. I'm going to take 12,000 men with me. We're going to go to where David is hiding. And we're not going to kill anyone with David. We're just going to get David. We're going to intimidate the rest of the guys along with David in his party. Intimidate them. They'll run away. They'll flee. We'll kill David. You'll ascend to the new throne as the new king. And they like that plan. But then Absalom brings in Hushai. He says, Hushai, what do you think? And Hushai says, no, don't do that. Here's what we're going to do. And again, he's playing the double agent, if you will. He says, what we're going to do is you are going to lead us with all of Israel. Not just 12,000 men. We're going to take all of Israel and we're going to go together with you, you leading us, and we're going to kill everyone, David included. 
And what they do is they go with Hushai's advice. And Ahithophel is so broken over it, over this. Absalom chooses Hushai's advice. Hushai then goes back and reports to David so that David can flee. But the sad thing about this is, is that Absalom liked Hushai's advice better than Ahithophel. It broke Ahithophel up so much so that he actually hung himself. And I'm, you don't have to read it. You can read it with me if you want. But in chapter 17, verse 23, it says, When Ahithophel saw that his advice had, been, had not been followed, he saddled his donkey and set out for his house in his hometown. He put his house in order and then hanged himself. So he died and was buried in his father's tomb. It's a very sad ending to Ahithophel's life. In the Psalms, actually, David wrote about the betrayal of a close personal friend. He doesn't name the friend, but most Bible scholars think that when David writes here, he was writing about his former best friend, Ahithophel. And David wrote in Psalm 55, 12 through 14, he said, If an enemy were insulting me, I could endure it. If a foe were raising himself against me, I could hide from it. But it is you, a man like myself, my companion, my close friend, with whom I once enjoyed sweet fellowship as we walked with the throng at the house of God. In Psalm 41, 9, he said, Even my close friend whom I trusted, he who shared my bread, has lifted up his heel against me. This is how broken up David was about losing his best friend Ahithophel when Ahithophel joined the rebellion. It's interesting, actually, in John 13, verse 18, Jesus quoted this verse in reference to Judas. It's actually very interesting. There are a couple of parallels between Ahithophel and Judas. I'm just going to list off a couple. Ahithophel was a personal friend of David. Judas was a personal friend of Jesus. Ahithophel conspired against his friend, and Judas conspired against his friend, Jesus. Ahithophel joined a losing cause, and Judas also joined a losing cause. Ahithophel hanged himself. Judas also hanged himself. The one major difference is that Jesus didn't do anything wrong to invite the betrayal of a friend. But David actually did. It's interesting when you dig out some of the scripture here, you see that when David had his affair with Bathsheba, we see that Bathsheba, her dad, his name was Eliam. And Eliam's dad, his name was Ahithophel. And so can you imagine Ahithophel once being a super close personal friend, counselor, confidant to David. David takes his granddaughter away from her husband, commits adultery with her, and then has her husband murdered. And this is what David does indirectly to his friend Ahithophel. And what's even more interesting is that a part of the advice that Ahithophel gave to Absalom when, when, uh, when Absalom said, hey, what should we do here? Ahithophel actually told Absalom, the very first thing you should do is you should go to your dad's house and you should sleep with all of his concubines in the middle of the day. Commit this sexually immoral act. Basically, in a sense, what Ahithophel was saying to David was, I want you to commit the same shame that David committed against my family. It's crazy. So Ahithophel, he, he, then it makes kind of more sense when you connect the dots. He joins this coup and joins this rebellion. 
But David's true friend in the midst of all this, his name was Hushai. Ran after David, pursued David, was loyal to David, was trusted. We don't know anything about Hushai other than the fact that the Bible says he was an archite. Not exactly sure what that is. Probably some kind of a village there in Israel. Hushai the archite, that's all we know, but other than that, all we know is he was a friend of David and he didn't break that friendship. Friends are important. True friends are rare. A study by psychologists uh, reported in this medical journal, the medical journal was called PLOS, P-L-O-S. They actually did a, re- uh, a, a pretty recent cool study um, talking about friendship. And they found in, those, uh, in the study, the study revealed that a circle of close friends and strong family ties can boost a person's health more than exercise, losing weight, or quitting cigarettes and alcohol. Psychologists reviewed 148 studies which tracked the social interactions and health of more than 300,000 people for seven and a half years. So a very extensive study. And from those studies, they discovered a link between mortality and friendship. They found this, two things. Number one, being lonely and isolated was as bad for a person's health as smoking 15 cigarettes a day or being an alcoholic. Number two, being lonely or isolated was as harmful as not exercising and was twice as bad for a person's health as being obese. So it's interesting. There's a lot of physiological effects and benefits of friendship. But obviously there are some spiritual benefits. And this is important. The Bible mentions the word friend or friendship 178 times throughout the Bible. 178 times. And so as we go through this list, back to the title of our message, Six Signs of a True Friend, as we go through this list, I want you to approach these six things from two different angles. I first want you to approach this list by asking yourself, are these six things things that I look for in a friend, qualities that I search for in a person? And then number two, I want you to look at this list as we go through it and ask yourself, Are these qualities descriptive of me as a friend to someone else? So, six things. Are these qualities that I look for in another person in order to form friendship? And do these qualities describe me as a friend? So, the first thing, a true friend is there in a crisis. A true friend is there in a crisis. And you can jot down Job 2, verse 11 and 13. It says this, when Job's three friends, Eliphaz, Bildad, and Zophar, heard about all the troubles that had come upon Job, they set out from their homes and met together by agreement to go and sympathize with him and comfort him. And when they saw him from a distance, they could hardly recognize him. Uh, Job had boils all over his skin. And they began to weep aloud, and they tore their robes and sprinkled dust on their heads, again, a sign of mourning. And then they sat on the ground with him for seven days and seven nights. No one said a word to him because they saw how great his suffering was. Job's friends actually practiced this thing, still practiced today. It's called sitting Shiva. Shiva is the Hebrew word for seven. Sit for seven. When you notice someone going through a really hard time, the very first thing that you should do is just be there for them. Just your presence. A lot of the time when someone is in trouble, when someone is grieving, 
Okay, the last thing that they need is a sermon. Don't do it. Last thing they need is a preacher. The best thing that they need is just your presence. And it's okay, too, when you sit there with them, something that you can just practically ask them is, how can I best serve you or minister to you at at this time? And be prepared for them to say, actually, I would just like you to go home. That's okay, and sometimes people just need to be alone. The trouble came when Job's friends opened their mouth and they started preaching. And then it got messy. I don't know if you've read the book of Job lately, but Job's friends, they sit with him for seven days. They don't say a word. Great. And then they each give their own individual sermons and things go awry. Now, it's okay to encourage, maybe leave scripture, and maybe they would love to talk it out and talk to you and express their emotions and, and get your counsel. But don't lead with it. Just be there for them. A true friend is always there in a crisis. Abraham Lincoln said, It's better to remain silent and be thought a fool than to speak and remove all their doubt. So sometimes it's best just to stay quiet, be there for them. Your presence is sometimes more than enough, a listening ear. A true friend is there in a crisis. Number two, a true friend uh, is uh, a true friend confronts. Proverbs 27, 5 through 6. Better is open rebuke than hidden love. Wounds from a friend can be trusted, but an enemy multiplies kisses. And this is something that I don't think um, we do well. I think that we are afraid of confrontation because we don't want to lose the friendship. But a true friend confronts. True love confronts. Now, a lot of the time you'll have people confront you out of wrong and sinful motives, either because they're jealous of you or they're angry with you. There's a lot of different reasons why people confront, and so that's why it can be confusing. What is your motive? What is your motivation when telling me this or confronting me with this? But true love and true friends confront. Because when you see a friend going down a destructive path, if you truly love them, you will gently confront them with their error. A true friend confronts. And here's something that also is extremely important for us to note. A true friend, being you, listens with humility when confronted. Sometimes that's hard to do, harder than the first thing to do. It's already hard to confront your friend, but sometimes it's harder to hear it from them. But a true friend confronts because that's what true love does. We want what's best for you. We see you going here or doing that. And it's destructive for your behavior. So I just gently want to come alongside you. I want to present this to you because I love you. And a true, a true friend confronts. A true friend is also willing to hear the hard thing, as I mentioned. Number three, a true friend keeps a confidence. Proverbs eleven thirteen says, A gossip betrays a confidence, but a trustworthy man keeps a secret. Proverbs seventeen nine says, He who covers over an offense promotes love, but whoever repeats the matter separates close friends. Listen, there, there is nothing more that will hurt a friendship than gossip. 
There's nothing more that will be destructive to your friendship than if someone tells you something in confidence and you go and spread it to other people. Keeping confidence and not gossiping about your friend behind their back is what will truly unite true friends. It's a sign of a true friend. A true friend keeps a confidence. It must be President's Day because I got another president quote. George Washington said, Be courteous to all, but intimate with few. And let those few be well tried before you give them your confidence. You know, it's okay just to have only a few friends. Um, if, you, if, you could, if you have two or three very close friends, you are super blessed. Um, sometimes it, it comes across as disingenuine when you are surface level with a lot of people and not deep with anyone. So have one, two, maybe three close friends that are trusted, that you know well, that you feel the freedom and liberty to be vulnerable with, that you can pour your heart out with. Be careful not to do that with anyone because then they might go just blabbing your business. But have that close group of friends that you say, I can trust them, a great friend, a very honorable person, close with the Lord that I can be vulnerable with and share my struggles with and share my temptations with and, and share different things with because I know they're going to keep a confidence. I know they won't gossip, gossip or spread it. Um, and, and deepen those few relationships. Um, it's okay to be, as good old George says, be, be courteous to all. Okay, there's a difference between being friendly and being friends. You don't have to be friends with everybody. Now, you can be friendly to anyone and to everyone, as we all should, but it's okay to keep your close circle of friends to only a handful because they're trusted and they can keep your confidence. Number four, a true friend lifts the fallen. A true friend lifts up the fallen. Ecclesiastes 4.10, Solomon said, If one falls down, his friend can help him up. But pity the man who falls and has no one to help him up. Now, obviously, this verse is literal. All right, if you see someone down, pick them up, whether you're a friend or not. Stay down. I'm not your friend, okay? All right, pick them up, literally. But obviously, this verse is speaking spiritually and figuratively as well. If someone falls morally, or if someone falls um, spiritually, a true friend is there to come alongside them. A true friend wants to restore so lift them up when someone falls, maybe in their marriage or falls in their faith. A true friend will be there to come alongside, to restore and to strengthen. Number five, a true friend is willing to make sacrifices. A true friend makes sacrifices. Jesus said in John fifteen thirteen, greater love has no one than this that he lay down his life for his friends. Now, obviously, in the context of that verse, Jesus was talking about the greatest sacrifice known to man, which was he himself being nailed to a cross, sacrificing himself for the sake of humanity, that they might have relationship with God through him. But just on a practical level, a true friend makes sacrifices. Friendship isn't built on convenience. Friendship is built on a measure and manner of sacrifice. A true friend sacrifices their time. A true friend sacrifices their energy. A true friend often goes out of their way. 
How can I help? How can I serve you? How can I be there for you? And a lot of the time we treat our friends as people we can use to our benefit because it's convenient for me. Oh, you're convenient in my life because you help me with X, Y, Z. But a true friend, true friendship is built on sacrifice. Do you notice those people in your life? And they go out of their way for me time and time again. Are you that for someone else? That you'd be willing to say, I'm a true friend to them, so I'm going to be willing to sacrifice my time, sacrifice energy, sometimes sacrifice a couple of dollar bills because I love them and I'm a true friend to them. And then finally, number six, a true friend forgives. And I don't know who needs to hear this tonight, but as I was on this point in my preparation, I just felt a little pause in my spirit that this might be specifically speaking to someone tonight. Maybe someone who you thought was a close friend has hurt you or betrayed you in some way. This is what Jesus said in Luke 17, 3-4. If your brother sins, rebuke him. And if he repents, forgive him. If he sins against you seven times a day and seven times comes back to you and says, I repent, then forgive him. We need to be people, especially as believers who profess to be people of Jesus, we need to learn how to forgive. And when you process forgiveness, you first have to look internally and first think to yourself, how often does Jesus unrelentlessly forgive me? And if I dare withhold that from someone else, what does that say about my relationship and my understanding of the grace that I've first been shown by Jesus? So we need to be people who forgive others when they offend us, when they maybe betray that confidence, to forgive. Now there might be a difference between, let's say you have a close friend who betrays you, gossiped about you. There might be something to say about regaining that trust. I'm not necessarily saying just be passive about it and jump straight back into that close friendship and relationship. It's okay if there needs to be trust built back or maybe the friendship doesn't necessarily come to that place that it once was. Sometimes that happens, and that's okay, but it shouldn't prohibit our ability to forgive them. A true friend forgives, and we need to practice this in our relationships, because for those of you who aren't married, this is going to be something you have to use daily in marriage, as I offend my wife pretty frequently more than she does me at least. But forgiveness is something that you'll need in marriage. Forgiveness is something that you will need as a close body of believers because where there's a world of unforgiveness out there, the last thing that the world needs to see is unforgiveness in here. We need to be people who forgive one another. And when you truly forgive other people, And not just your friends. Obviously, a true friend forgives. But when you truly forgive people, that goes a long way in showing your understanding of God's grace toward you. A true friend forgives. Let me take a quick moment as we're closing here to both challenge and encourage. Challenge and encourage. The challenge is this. Ask yourself, who's in my circle? 
Who is in your circle? Who have you allowed in your life? Who have you given permission to speak into your life or to influence you? Who is in that inner circle? 1 Corinthians 15.33 says, Don't be deceived. Bad company corrupts good morals. There may be some people in your life that you have to cut ties with. A good question to ask yourself when it comes to who you surround yourself with is, are they pulling me away from Christ or are they pushing me toward Him? And if they're pulling me away from Christ by their influence, then it's probably time to cut ties. Is my circle or is this person who I've permitted to speak into my life, do they pull me away from the Lord or do they encourage me and push me toward Him? It's an extremely important question to ask yourself when developing that inner circle that you share trust with and that you share good fellowship with and that you share that friendship with. If they pull me away, it's probably time to go. If they push me toward Christ, they're a keeper. Hold on to that person, surround yourself with them. Now again, I'm not saying that we just need to be in this isolated box where we only speak to Christians. Again, be friendly with everyone, but it's okay to be friends with only a trusted few. Because they are the people that you are permitting in your life to influence you and to speak to you. Because that will affect who you marry, it will affect how you raise your kids. The people you surround yourself with are extremely important. So that's the challenge. I want you to go home tonight. I want you to just evaluate your inner circle. Who have I permitted in my life to speak and influence me? And then I also want to encourage you tonight. I know at young adults especially, um, it can be hard and challenging to walk into this room not knowing anyone. And I know it happens all the time. Maybe you moved up here for a job, moved up here for a different opportunity, and you heard about Cornerstone Young Adults, and you were really hesitant to try it out. I just want to encourage you, because you came in not knowing who would be there, or if you'd have a friend, I want to encourage you that you've got a friend in me, and I'll be your friend, and my wife Morgan, she'll be your friend. And this room here, oh, I, know, I know several of you, um, and the kind of person you are and the character uh, that you have, I know instantly that this, this room, um, you've got a friend in this room. And uh, so I don't want you to, to hesitate in coming back. Should I come back? I want you to come back. You've got friends here. You've got people in this room who you can surround yourself with, who love you and who care about you and care about your spiritual growth, and care about your walk with the Lord. Care about your hobbies. Care about what you do for a living. Care about your, your work or your interests. And so I want us to be that for other people here. I want us to seek out maybe the new face, the person you don't know. And I want you to have that awkward first encounter. But man, that first awkward encounter, when you come... You're like, I don't know anyone here. This is a weird group. Okay, you've got, a, you've got at least one friend here. I guarantee it. 
And if it's no one here, it's, it's, it's definitely me. Or it's my wife, and, and we'll hang out with you, and we'll grab a bite of food, um, wearing our masks in between each bite. <laughs> Just kidding. But I want us to use this list to evaluate our lives. How am I doing as a friend? And who am I choosing to surround myself with? Let's do that. Go home. Meditate on this scripture. Pray and ask the Lord. Evaluate your inner circle. And then come back to young adults or go out to your workplace. And aspire to this list. I want to be this person for someone else. And if you are are new tonight, then I want you to continue to come. And uh, continue to stretch yourself. Because you will find friends here. And uh, you're dearly loved here. And uh, I'm glad to to know you and to get to know you. Um, so go with that. Go, go home and, and just meditate on, uh, on this scripture. Let me pray for us. Um, Lord, we thank you for your word, Lord. And we first thank you for being a friend to us. I'm reminded of the scripture in the Gospels where before you died and were nailed to a cross, you told your disciples that you were their friend. You said a master doesn't share his business with his employees, but a friend does. And therefore, I call you my friends. What an amazing thing it is to be called a friend of God. Sinners like us, having fellowship with you, a holy God, where you call us your friends, I'm amazed by that, Lord. Thank you for your friendship to us. And I pray now that We'll take away from this study, we'll learn from Hushai as he was a good friend to David, that we would be these things to other people, Lord, that we would be a trustworthy confident, confidant, that we would be loyal, that we wouldn't gossip behind our friends' back, but that we would be people who are just solid people who pursue friendships with love and grace and truth, that we won't be afraid to confront a friend when necessary because we love them. Pray that you would give us boldness and wisdom. And I pray now for this, this room. Maybe there are some friends that we need to cut ties with because they're negatively influencing us. They're pulling us away from you, Lord. And I pray that you would give us the courage to do so. That you would give us the courage and the wisdom to know when a friendship needs to end and that you would also help us in building other friendships, Lord, with people who pull us toward you, who encourage us toward you, who push us toward you. May we surround ourselves with people who love you. And I thank you for this room, Lord. I have many personal friends in this room, and I thank you for the blessing that they are to me and my family. And I pray that you would just teach us now, Lord. You're the the best friend that we have, and I pray that you would help us now be good friends to other people that we encounter and that you would give us your wisdom and grace, Lord. Thank you for being our true friend. We love you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. And everybody said, amen.